Welcome to Brain Ignition Radio. Here I share with you all of the knowledge and resources I've gained as it relates to nutrition, exercise, and brain health. By sharing these interesting case studies, in-depth discussions, and research, I hope that we can learn together and improve our current health and the health of future generations. I'm your host, Chet Binning, and I thank you for tuning in. Welcome, guys. I just wanted to give you a quick preview before the actual preview. So I talk a lot about energy in versus energy out today. If this is something that you're already familiar with and you don't want to listen to anymore, please skip ahead to about minute 30 or 35, somewhere in that range. I start to get beyond some of this basic stuff and talk about optimal methods of exercise for fat loss and body composition. Welcome everyone. Thank you again for tuning in. This week we're going to start a brand new series focused on fat loss and body composition. So this is just in time for the warmer weather, even though you're not allowed to go outside. Today we're going to talk about calories and why that is so important. We'll talk about creating an energy deficit, which is still the most important thing for fat loss. We'll talk about why, in fact, all diets can work when we talk about this, even a Twinkie diet. But then we'll cover some common myths when it comes to fat loss. For instance, this belief that sweating leads to more fat loss. We'll talk about how you can modulate your temperature of your environment or your house to support fat loss. We'll talk about some exercise plans and a lot more. So part one, which we're going to, of course, start with today, this is going to be more of a introduction, I would say. And then as we proceed with parts two, and I expect this will be a three parter, then we'll get a little bit more advanced. So we'll cover some things like blood sugar, insulin sensitivity, leptin sensitivity, growth hormone, We'll probably geek out on some different exercise methods by then and lots of other stuff. So if you are already familiar with the whole energy expenditure story, then please just skip ahead to the time that I hopefully mentioned at the beginning of this episode. I'm going to record that after recording this so that those of you who are familiar with this don't have to listen to a bunch of redundancy and you can kind of just skip ahead to stuff that's that's new to you. Before we jump in, hopefully you can't hear that gnawing in the background. That's Benson. He's just enjoying one of his uh, bone toys right now. Don't worry, Keelan, not a real bone, just a toy, but it's kind of noisy. So hopefully you guys can't hear that. So like I mentioned, we're going to start with this calories in versus calories out or energy expenditure because at the end of the day, regardless of all of the marketing that's out there about weight loss, fat loss, and so on, this is still at the top of the pyramid. It's still the most important thing when it comes to fat loss. So let me just start with this classic example, which kind of perfectly highlights this. 
let's say your baseline caloric intake is 2000 calories and you determine that in order to lose fat, you have to begin consuming 1600 calories. And we're going to talk about what all this means. If you go from 2000 calories on a whole foods diet and then go to 1600 calories on a Twinkies only diet or could be anything, you will actually lose fat. It's, it's really that simple. It's just how the body works. You give it less energy. Well, then it's going to drop some fat. Now, obviously I wouldn't suggest this for anyone and it's not the best way to do things, but this is just to show you that yes, in fact, energy in versus energy out is still the most important thing. And I, I start with this because so many people do not realize this. We see all this marketing out there, like take this to lose fat or eat this or exercise this way. And yeah, sometimes that stuff is important, but we have to focus on this first. So as I mentioned, we'll start with the basics. So if you guys have never done this or are not familiar with this, you want to start by recording your daily macronutrients. This is really easy to do. It's a pain in the ass probably one time and then it's super simple. So check out an app like MyFitnessPal, for instance, is the most common one or Chronometer. These are both completely free. And ultimately what you're going to do is you weigh and measure your food. So let's say I'm making, um, you know, whatever, a three egg omelet with some peppers and onions and stuff into my fitness pal or whatever it is, you would put in three whole eggs. You would dice up your veggies, toss those on the scale quick, and then you would add into my fitness pal, whatever it is, hundred grams of peppers, hundred grams of onions, and then it will spit out exactly how much protein, how much fat, and how much carbohydrate, and in total, how many calories you're consuming at that meal. And you're just going to go through your day like this, and then at the end of the day, it's going to give you your caloric intake. So it's going to give you your totals and then your total calories. As you're probably starting to realize if you're not familiar with these numbers and how they work is that this is critical. You need to figure out your baseline intake before you start to adjust your diet to either, you know, lose fat or gain muscle or whatever your goal is. Now I highlight this because as I said, this is most important thing, but it's just amazing how many people have no idea about this and have no idea that this is the most important thing. And that's not to blame anyone. I mean, I didn't even know this until, I don't know, maybe five or so years ago. We're not taught this. It's just interesting because as I work with a ton of people on their nutrition and workout plans and so on, one of the most often remarks is, oh, I can't lose weight. I've tried absolutely everything. And then I say, okay, what's your baseline caloric intake? They say, what's that? So this is the most important thing, step one, if you will. And a lot of people just don't even um, know what it is. So this is key because, I, I mean, there's a lot of other benefits to doing this. Frankly, it shows you how much you're actually eating, how much energy you're consuming, because most people have no idea. It tells you if you're eating enough protein. 
and it, it, it is a it's a really good learning experience from that way so let's proceed now how what do we do with these numbers so let's use an example let's say you're currently eating 2,000 calories and your goal is to lose fat so you want to lean out so to do this you just need to create what's called an energy deficit so basically you want to burn more energy than you're taking in there's a couple different ways to do this the most basic is option a you just increase your exercise amount or your activity level because this is going to increase how much energy you burn so you keep eating 2000 calories per day and then you increase maybe you go from two to four workouts a week or maybe you go from 5,000 to 10,000 steps per day. It, it really can be that simple, guys, like just a simple math equation. And I just want to highlight here that we really overlook things like walking and just movement. We, we often think that it has to be like this amazing workout hour-long session at the gym or in the, the home gym or whatever and if we don't get that then well we're screwed it's absolutely not that way at all and i can tell you that walking and just your daily movement how much you're moving throughout the day so whether you're sitting at a desk are you parking close are you taking the stairs this is the stuff that really adds up you can be a really fit individual without ever doing a quote-unquote official workout. So remember that. So that would be kind of option one or option A, if you will. Option B would be to eat less. Now you can definitely combine these. You can eat less and exercise a little bit more. You just don't want to overdo things. But in this instance, you would go from example, 2000 calories per day and then you would decrease by about 400 calories. So down to about 1600 calories per day. And as I mentioned with that, you could also do something like increase your steps or increase your exercise. And you will just basic, literally just um, like basic, I guess you could call physics of the body. Maybe physics isn't the right term, but the body will lose fat. It'll burn fat. It's just how it works. It's a simple math equation energy in energy out so in a moment we'll talk about how to determine where you get those calories from those 2000 or those 1600 but let's first talk about a little bit of an exception so some people when they do this they will find out that their baseline intake is around about 1200 calories and sorry guys, one quick thing I, I forgot to mention, when you do this tracking, you wanna make things as typical or as average as possible, right? You don't wanna all of a sudden eat a pristine diet for one day if you never do that, because that's not gonna help anyone. That's not gonna give you any useful information. So what if someone is eating 12,000 calories per day and they wanna lose fat? Are they gonna go down to 800 calories per day? No, this is a terrible thing to do. This is going to just absolutely tank someone's metabolic rate and hormonal health in general. This is a really common problem though, believe it or not. Now to avoid kind of a, a long extended unnecessary explanation of this, these individuals who are kind of in what you could call the metabolic toilet, so they're, they're, 
metabolic rate or the rate at which they burn energy and calories is so low. So they're eating, you know, 1300, 1200, 1100 calories per day. These people need to actually increase their daily calories. By increasing it, it will in fact start to speed up their metabolic rate actually because as they take in more food the body's going to say oh there's more energy coming in so i can start to burn a little bit more now sometimes when you do this people will gain a little bit of weight but it's kind of a necessary evil to be honest you have to gain this little bit to increase your metabolic rate so that eventually you can come back down this is why I don't want to spend too long on this scenario because it does get a little more complex, but just think of it from a survival perspective, right? If we have someone who is eating very low calories, something like 1200, they're exercising a ton day in, day out. Well, what's the body going to do? The body's going to say, oh man, you're putting me through hell, but you don't give me any energy. So I'm going to hang on to this energy that you do give me. I'm going to store it around our midsection as fat so that as you keep putting me through this grueling exercise, I have some energy to draw from because you're not giving me any. So I need to retain this, stop burning through the calories that you give me so rapidly, really retain those so that we can keep moving. That's kind of, in a sense, really what's going on here. The body is is really in like a, a survival or a stressed out state, if you will. And this is why we unfortunately see so many people in this scenario nowadays. And it, it's because of the marketing and the media saying you have to go, 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 eat less, eat less. And over time, we can develop some metabolic issues from this. Now let's focus on where we can actually get these calories from. So I just kind of want to highlight this because I mentioned, yes, something like it's, it's commonly known as if it fits your macros, which is this idea that calories are the only thing that matters and it doesn't matter where you're getting those calories from. I just want to highlight this to kind of further explain this. So when you guys are determining where to get your calories from, whether you want to stay at quote unquote baseline or maintenance, whether you want to gain muscle or whether you want to lean out, it is important to consider where we're getting our calories from. Let's start with protein because that is most important. Why is it most important? There's many reasons, but the big one is that protein is required to maintain and build muscle. And the more lean muscle we have, the more energy you're going to be able to burn through. So the more calories you're going to be able to consume without gaining fat. So muscle is really like your, your furnace or your fuel tank, if you will. So the more of that you have, the more energy you're going to burn through. So that means that you need to consume 
adequate amounts of protein to support this. If we really under consume protein, and we'll talk about what those numbers look like, you're not going to have any lean muscle. And so you're metabolic rate or the rate at which you can burn through calories and burn through energy is going to be really, really slow because your furnace is, is, is really tiny essentially, or your engine is really tiny. So now that we're talking about some of these numbers and as you use something like my fitness pal or whatever, you'll start to appreciate these more, but for a number, Something you want to aim for is roughly about 0.8 grams to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight. Now we can get really nitpicky and kind of detailed and sciencey about how to pick one number or the other, but frankly, it's, it's not really worth that discussion for what we're focused on today. Somewhere in that range is perfectly fine. So for me, I'm roughly about 200 pounds, 0.8 grams would be about 160 grams of protein per day. So to give you an example, that would be something like, let's say three whole eggs, a pretty good sized serving of chicken, one scoop of whey protein, probably about three to five servings of fruits, fruits and veggies, excuse me. Maybe something like a few tablespoons of hemp seeds and or some nuts and seeds, and then maybe some fish at dinner. So that would be well over 160. That would probably, probably, excuse me, be close to about 200 grams, which is usually what I aim for. I mean, I, I never, ever, ever, maybe like once a year actually track my, my calories now just because it's so habitual. But I suspect if I was to track this, it would probably be closer to 200 grams. So about a, a gram per pound of body weight. But this is just to give you an example, guys. The most common thing I see working with clients by far, and I'm talking about just quote unquote average Joes, is that they under consume protein. If you're someone who is under consuming protein, so if you're nowhere near this 0.8 grams, Frankly, if all you did was increase your daily protein to 0.8 grams and you were way below that before, I bet you, you would lean out. Things would kind of just work themselves out. The things that we're going to talk about in a, in a minute here, but things would just kind of work themselves out. You'd have less hunger. You'd build some muscle. Your metabolic rate would increase and you would just lean out. So that's a really easy solution here too, if you're not already doing that. So start with your protein, right? Set that number, use those numbers I mentioned. After that, it's kind of up to you how you wanna fill in the rest of your calories. It can come from carbohydrates, it can come from fats, it can come from a mix. From a fat loss standpoint, for the most part, on average, it doesn't really matter. Yes, you can get detailed and sometimes that is important and that's what we're going to talk about in future episodes. But for the most part, it doesn't really matter. So that's crazy, right? When we hear all this talk about different diets out there. So we hear things about ketogenic diets or carnivore diets or vegan diets or whatever. And like I mentioned, guys, 
at the basic scientific level for fat loss, it doesn't really matter. Now, that being said, there are some practical things to apply that will make things either easier or more difficult and support health a little bit more. And we'll talk about a couple of these. Let's just start with the classic example of keto, a ketogenic diet. So I know there's a lot of beliefs out there that a, a ketogenic diet maybe burns fat. It burns fat faster than other quote unquote diets because it's this, this high fat intake. And, and this, as the saying goes, eating more fat tells your body to burn fat. So, I mean, that's kind of true, but it's, it's a bit misleading. So yes, if you eat more fat, your body will preferentially burn more fat, but that doesn't mean it's actually burning more energy. It's a little confusing. All of us throughout the day are burning a little bit of glucose and a little bit of fatty acids. And we kind of fluctuate back and forth throughout the day, depending on what we're doing. Some things encourage the use of glucose or sugar more than others, such as a shift in hockey or like really high intensity when your heart rate is high, your body can really only use sugar. But if you're doing something like walking, it's going to be using a little bit of sugar, but it's also going to be using some fat because we can, we can burn fat at a slow pace. And that's really all we need for something like walking. It's a slow pace. And what a keto diet does is it shifts you more towards fat oxidation. But again, that's just kind of the type of fuel you're using. So just think about the fuel tank example. You're not necessarily burning more fuel overall. You're just using a different kind of fuel. Now, there is some very nuanced potential benefits to a ketogenic diet, perhaps some inflammation stuff, maybe some things at the, the gene transcription level as it relates to longevity, maybe some mitochondrial stuff and so on and so forth. But um, best we leave that for another episode. But one practical thing I will say with the ketogenic diet is one, it can be particularly beneficial for those with metabolic issues. So particularly pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, it does seem to be exceptionally good for them or for these people, sorry. And it can also be exceptionally good for certain neurological issues. So especially epilepsy, but again, we're going to not get into these things right now. But the last thing I will say with this is that if you do try a ketogenic diet, please do or I should say, please do not do the dirty keto way, what I would call dirty ketogenic diet. This is where you, all you eat is bacon, butter, and worst of all, all of these keto snacks that we start seeing popping up. This is not how it was designed. You want to, like with any diet, stick to whole foods. So yeah, some bacon and some butter, but also other whole food fats, nuts and seeds, fish, grass-fed meats, whole eggs, extra virgin olive oil, maybe some full-fat dairy in there. So real foods, avoid all those crappy junk snacks that we see popping up. Certainly every once in a while, no problem, but people are relying on these now and calling it a keto diet. So the next example, we're, we won't spend a ton of time on these other ones. I, I, I more so want to outline the concept instead of focusing on each diet. 
But let's talk about something like, we'll say the carnivore diet, just very quickly here, guys. So this is also a, a pretty low carbohydrate diet, just as a ketogenic diet would. I will say that some people do feel much better on a, a lower carbohydrate diet. So for instance, they have less hunger, less cravings for sure, less brain fog, and usually more, more consistent energy, I would say. So you don't have that, that, uh, those peaks and valleys throughout the day. So this is another thing that I would try guys, if you've never tried this, if you, if you're someone who struggles with, you know, cravings and some of the other things I mentioned, try reducing your carbohydrates. So if we go back to that, my fitness pal example, so you can see now why this is so important, right? Because when I say something like low carb, you're going to actually know what I mean. So for instance, if your current baseline carbohydrate intake is something like 250 or 300, and you're not very active, you don't work out really at all, try decreasing that to about 80, 90, 100 grams of net carbohydrates. My fitness pal will do this on its own. It will give you net, which accounts for the fiber. And then replacing that with protein and healthy fats. Nine out of 10 people feel so much better. And then that too makes fat loss even easier. So that's the, the real kind of take home here guys is that it's calories and then you can start to tweak things for sure and there is certainly some other things that we can get into that we will save for future parts to this series so things like how sugar and carbohydrate intake versus fats and protein affect things like insulin sensitivity glucose health inflammation we're going to get into all of that but we got to start with the foundation here. Now, one more thing I will mention is actually fasting or intermittent fasting. So fasting is another thing that at least based on the current research doesn't seem to quote unquote burn fat on its own. So what I mean is let's say the same person eats 2000 calories a day and eats between say 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. every day. And then all of a sudden they go from the exact same calories still, they maintain their exercise and activity level, but the only thing that they change is their eating window. So they restrict it a little bit so that their fast from last meal to first meal becomes a little bit longer. It doesn't seem like doing that will necessarily start to burn more fat or increase your metabolic rate. So that's another really big myth I see. And I mean, to be honest, I was certainly a, a culprit or a victim of this, I would say maybe three, four years ago when I first discovered fasting, it just sounds so sexy. And I was one of those ones who thought, oh yeah, like that's, you know, it totally burns fat, right? It really revs things up and burns through things more. But as I started to dig more and more and read more of the literature, it doesn't seem to. However, similar to things like, you know, keto or some of this other stuff we're going to talk about, there does seem to be some more nuanced benefits that are certainly worth reaping. 
So I, I definitely don't want to downplay it because there is some awesome benefits. But now, can it be an excellent, amazing tool to make fat loss and leaning out a lot easier? 100%. Absolutely. So notice the difference there, guys. Is it a tool that makes fat loss easier or is it something that's actually contributing to fat loss? So note the difference here and be kind of mindful of this when you look through the social medias and stuff. So what I mean is if you have less time in a day to eat food, well, most people are going to eat less food. That's going to put them into an energy deficit and then they're going to lean out. That's what happens a lot. That's why so many people think that fasting burns fat is because they just unknowingly enter into this energy deficit. Now, fasting as well. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you there is so many potential benefits here, guys, with intermittent fasting daily, but also longer ones as it relates to inflammation. Again, mitochondrial health, as we mentioned earlier. Sleep is enormous. You will sleep so much better if you stop eating right before bed. And what happens when you get a good night's sleep? You wake up feeling great, feeling fresh. Usually you're more clear-headed. Your cravings are reduced, and so you avoid all that junky crap. You stay focused on your goals. Maybe those goals are fat loss and maintaining your exercise plan. And so now you can see how this is a tool, right? It's a tool, and it's an awesome one. So just for simplicity, what I usually recommend to people is, at minimum, try and maintain a 12-12. My opinion, this should be just as I just mentioned, the minimum for nearly everyone. There's not too many people who wouldn't benefit from this. There's probably like 0.1% of elite athletes who sometimes like during competition and stuff, maybe some bodybuilders and so on would benefit from eating for longer periods of time. But for the majority of people, 12 hours minimum and lots of people can get added benefit when they start to slightly extend that window. And if I had to pick, I would say instead of waiting until lunch, I would actually stop eating earlier. All right, guys. So the last thing we're going to focus on today is some exercise specifics. Couple myths, couple different types of exercise and how that affects fat loss and We'll see what else we get into. So let's just kind of kick this off with a really common myth, shall we? So this myth that the more you sweat, the more fat you're going to burn. So I know sweating feels awesome. It feels good to get a workout in that, you know, really makes you sweat. There is something to be said about that. However, we're talking about fat loss right now. And for this, it does not matter. The only reason you sweat is to regulate your body temperature. That's why that mechanism is in place. Sweating is a thermogenic response of your body to cool your body temperature down. Now, if we use another example for this one, and actually this reminded me of another thing I should bring up. But if we use the example of something like a, a 60 minute, you know, 
um, cardio session or spin class or whatever versus 60 minutes of weight training with adequate rest in between sets. Technically speaking, you're actually going to be benefiting from a fat loss standpoint more from that weight training session than from that long extended cardio session, even though if you've ever tried one or the other, it's not always, but sometimes, I mean, no contest what you're going to sweat more from. So this is a good example, but the comparison could be anything. It, It could be anything. And just keep in mind that this does not determine how much fat you lose. And so the next time you're thinking about wrapping yourself in a garbage bag and a bunch of duct tape and then going to ride the bike in the sauna, know that you don't have to do this. If you enjoy this, that's awesome. If you drank a bunch of beers the night before and you're Chris Chelios, that's good too. And you just want to sweat out some toxins. There's something to be said about that. But fat loss perspective, guys, there's there's nothing here. And so we see all these like garbage bag suits and, and heavy duty track suits that are promoted as fat loss tools. Now, this does have purpose though for individuals who have to meet weight, right? But this is totally different. This is your body weight on a scale and that's completely different because your overall body weight is affected by how much fluid is in your body. We have so much fluid in our body at one time that this has an enormous impact on that exact number that's shown on that scale. And so if you sweat absolutely everything out of you and dehydrate yourself, definitely when you go step on that scale, you will be lighter. But you did not lose any fat. You just lost all of your liquid And you're going to regain that back as soon as you start drinking water again. So you're going to be lighter on the scale for however long it is that you're choosing to dehydrate yourself. So keep that in mind. So if you do a really hard workout, sweat your tush off, trying to hold back on the swear words here really hard workout and then you step on the scale afterwards and say, oh man, I lost 10 pounds that workout. I am right on track here, baby. You can't lose fat that fast. It's just liquid. You're going to get that back right away. So please do not use this as a metric. I could certainly go on a rant right now about scales in general and using that to track progress and weight, but going to avoid that right now as well. But I, I don't like this at all. I don't like it as a metric. I think it's a terrible metric. I think it creates a ton of problems, a lot of body issues. The best metric in my opinion is body fat percentage. And you can get this from, if someone knows how to use calipers, you could get something like a DEXA scan, a bod pod, whatever. This is a much better indicator. Honestly, even measurements, measurements and photos are a better indicator than the scale if you see measurements decreasing around your waist that's amazing that's an awesome indicator then you pull up your photos four or six or eight weeks apart whatever they are and say wow 
I look so much leaner. That's awesome. That's an incredible indicator. And then the reason that the scale sucks is because you might look at those two metrics and see huge improvements, step on the scale and see nothing. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the scale shows. So remember that. Don't use it, please. Unless you are trying to meet weight for your next mixed martial arts, boxing match, weightlifting competition, whatever. So let's kind of just jump now into, uh, I, this is kind of, I guess, another myth too, guys, is that cardio is better for fat loss. Um, it amazes me how common this still is, but this is not true at all. Um, very, very misleading and a, a, a pretty harmful myth, in fact, in my opinion. So the major reason being here, guys, is that lots of cardio so whatever you go for your 45 minute run or bike or whatever it is and you do that several times per week all year long if you're doing this because you enjoy it or for health you know have at it i think that's awesome there's certainly some pretty amazing benefits to quote unquote cardio like that and i love mixing some in myself however what are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about fat loss and body composition. And for that, it's not the best option. Definitely, you want to kind of sprinkle it in. But if that's what you're relying on, it's crap. And we don't need to overcomplicate this like many of the other things. Just think of it from a practical standpoint. If you're forcing your body to travel long distances for long periods of time, something like a long run, well, it, it doesn't want to carry around a bunch of muscle that's inefficient and that requires more energy and it weighs more. So your body's going to ditch all this muscle. It's going to burn off your muscle and that's going to just really tank your metabolic rate. So that's why we see, and this is so common, we see people who run all the time, but they, they just can't make those changes that they want. They just can't drop that fat. And this is why, guys. It's because they're just burning through all their muscle. Their metabolic rate is decreasing. And so oftentimes, they'll actually start to gain weight and gain fat. Now, there's certainly some physiological things going on here as well. So the longer you keep doing, quote unquote, cardio, We'll just use the example of running. The longer that run goes, the higher and higher certain chemicals and hormones are going to get in your body. So I'm talking about things like adrenaline and cortisol. These are absolutely required during exercise. They're a good thing because they kind of, um, they basically mobilize energy, right? They're, they're, what lead to increases in energy. They enhance your focus. You get a little bit sweaty. These are all good things because they kind of pump us up and support our performance. However, if they stay elevated, which they will for long sessions, well, they become catabolic. So they start to break down our muscle and then they can actually also start to promote fat retention. And so this is kind of what happens when people do this chronic cardio day in, day out, year after year and wonder why they can't lose fat. This is what's going on. They're becoming cortisol junkies in essence. 
Now, I just want to point out another um, kind of popular trend, and I'm not here to bash it. I, I would never bash exercise. I mean, obviously, it's it's incredible. However, I just want to educate people. I think people don't realize some things that are um, maybe that they see in the industry. So we see these really long hit sessions now, right? We we see this marketed all the time. It's it's try our hit session, but hit was not designed to be performed for upwards of even 45 50 60 90 minutes even it was not designed for this hit which is high intensity interval training which is just as it sounds it's periods of high high intensity so something like sprinting followed by adequate rest but what we now see going on is high intensity followed by incredibly minimal rest. And people are repeating that for, like I said, 60 to 90 minutes on end. And so what it turns this into is cardio in essence. And so again, can it be an awesome tool? Absolutely. Is it the best to do all the time for fat loss gains? No, it's not because it can also lead to some of these side effects that I mentioned. So HIT was actually designed to be really short in total duration from set one to your final set should be, in my opinion, under 30 minutes. If you get to a point where you cannot repeat something at max effort and output, well, then you're done. And, and you're not really using the exercise the way it was designed to be used. So something like 100 meter sprint, rest two to three minutes, repeat that for about, you know, whatever, 15 to 20 minutes. That is actually an incredibly effective strategy. So this is, this is funny, right? This is, so what I just mentioned, that example, really flies in the face of so many different myths, but is in fact an incredible option to support body composition goals and fat loss goals. You're not sweating. Oh man, I didn't sweat. Well, this is no good. You're not sweating during these sprints. Probably it's not long. People think, Oh, I need to go a really long time to get the benefits. Well, no, this is really short. And in fact, it is incredibly effective. This too is something that so many other cool potential benefits, mitochondria, but in simple terms, you're supporting your lean muscle by doing something like this. You're not getting into that quote unquote cardio junkie range. And, you know, for many people, it's a, it's a more sustainable option, right? It's incredibly efficient. You're getting lean with minimal work. And I think that's what most people want. So let's just kind of go over a hypothetical, really good training plan if our ultimate goal is fat loss. And we'll close with this today, guys. So before we get in, the key here, the or the king, I should say, the king of this is variety. Variety is the best. But if you were to pick one thing, if you had to pick only one thing for fat loss, most efficient, well, it's weight training. But if you have the option, variety. But let's start with weight training. So if you're very limited, say you can only do three sessions a week of about 30 minutes, full body workouts, and 
as many full body movements as possible. So I'm talking about things like squats, bench press, deadlifts, pull-ups, things that recruit as much muscle mass as possible, as opposed to something like a seated on bench hammer curl or something like that. Even if you have a volleyball tournament that weekend, I know you want to get the guns rocking, but full body stuff. This is the best bang for your buck. So I'm not going to go through a full plan right now, but I'm talking about super simple, super basic, something like three by 10 reps of a back squat, rest 30 seconds, three by 10 reps of a push up or a push pull or something, rest about 90 seconds, repeat that three times. That's A1, that's A2. B1, B2 could be three by your max set of pull-ups, or if you're not very good at them yet, you could do three by about five reps of eccentric pull-ups. So you jump to the top and do a slow lower. That's going to build that strength. And you compare that with something like a full body, lower body, um, which would be something like a deadlift, or you could do a single leg exercise. If you have some weaknesses, thousand and thousands of different ways to piece this together. But I hope that gives you guys an example and you could literally just repeat that exact same plan three days a week with at least one rest day in between workouts. If you're a newbie and have never really lifted weights before, you would get unbelievable gains from doing that just in the first like four to six weeks. You'd have to, or you would want to adjust it after about six to eight weeks as your body adapts, but hope that helps you guys. So that would be the best thing if you only had one option, but let's say you're able to do many different types, some variety. So work in some strength training, like I just mentioned, I would say, in my opinion, at minimum, two days full body per week is awesome. But of course, I mean, one full body per week, still better than nothing. You could work in some true, true high intensity interval training one to two times per week. And you can definitely look that up really anywhere you like. There's lots of good resources on the web, but remember that should be short, should be high intense efforts. You can work in some definitely, I don't want to give you guys the impression that I'm bashing it. Cause like I said, I mean, I do it myself, some longer endurance training one to two times per week, but really ultimately depends on your goals. But we're talking about fat loss right now. So one to two times per week, you do a longer endurance training session. Try and get that over about 40 minutes. Also doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes even hiking can do this. I mean, we've all gone on these hikes. How hard is it just walking up a hill, right? Walking upstairs, like I can't believe how gassed I am after walking up a flight of stairs. I think I'm in shape and then I walk up a set of stairs at an arena or something and I'm just like, what is going on here? I can hardly breathe. So don't underestimate that stuff. Now, a couple fancy things before we close this one out. A couple types of training that seem to be uniquely beneficial for fat loss. So some geeky things. Lactate training actually guys. So this would be like a classic example actually would be a hockey game. That's a really good example of lactate training. Lactate training is something that as the name implies promotes the buildup of 
excuse me, acidity in the muscle. So you get that burning fatigue sensation, which we always refer to as all oh, lactic acid. The lactic acid is burning. It's actually a buildup of hydrogen ions really is what's going on here and acidity. Lactate is actually a, it's, it's kind of gets a bad rep, but lactate's awesome. You can actually recycle that and then it can be used again for energy so it quite literally gets recycled then you create glucose and then you use that again for energy so lactate is it's super interesting stuff you can even use lactate as an energy source in the brain but i digress so lactate training so a super simple example this is something that lasts about 50 to 70 seconds give or take so that's why I said something like a shift in hockey, but it's something that gets that burn in the muscle. And then you're going to repeat this several times over. So what seems to be going on here is that as you promote this accumulation of acidity in your muscles, you'll start to release growth hormone. Your body was going to release growth hormone, excuse me, which is actually going to then tell your body, to mobilize more fat to be burnt. So really cool. It's a response to this lactate, mobilizes growth hormone, and then you're gonna mobilize fat to be burned as energy while protecting your lean muscle. That's key here. So this is why, for instance, and, and if you're older like I am, you can kind of think back to days where Playing hockey, it was really easy to stay lean, even if you were kind of eating a, a, a crappy diet. Mind you, I do find that some CrossFit really seems to replicate this. Like I, I've, I've found that it is actually easier to stay lean doing CrossFit stuff than I ever did find playing hockey, but I'm also eating better now than I did then. So maybe not. But anyways, point is you can get this benefit through multiple different ways. Maybe you're biking hard for 50 to 70 seconds, rest and repeat. So kind of like the interesting thing here is that, and maybe some of you have picked up on this, is that, you know, some of those longer hit sessions that I talked about earlier sort of replicate this. They might, they maybe do. However, I think many of them fall short because, well, maybe to major reasons. I think one is that it's maybe targeting the same muscle groups over and over again. So for this to be best, so I said we we're going to get a little bit into the weeds here, but not too much. Ideally, you would switch between muscle groups. So as an example, let's say you start 50 to 70 seconds hard effort on a bike. So that's really going to build up that acidity in your legs you rest 30 seconds and then you repeat this effort with an upper body dominant movement so maybe it's like ropes or something like that so really what's going on here is you're torching one area of the body and then for the next set you want to move as far away from that body part as possible and torch that area so you're trying to get really a full body accumulation of acidity so that that lactate threshold response and so you guys can kind of use your imagination to 
kind of piece the rest of that together, but it's this, we'll call it acidic effort, rest and repeat that indefinitely. Hard to for me to give you um, kind of like an optimal number for duration of this because it really depends on the individual. If you've never done this before, start with probably 20 to 30 minutes. If you're pretty well conditioned, you're a hockey player, whatever, you go a little bit longer. And interestingly, something like a hockey practice at a higher level is probably pretty close to this for upwards of an hour, right? So some people are adapted to this. So that's four different types of exercise right now, I think, right guys? Um, so strength training a couple times a week, hit once or twice a week, some cardio once or twice a week. We talked about lactate and this seems like a lot and certainly it is and not everyone's going to be able to use all of this, but some of these things you can do on multiple days, right? So simple example, you could do one hit session after your weight training. You could do one lactate session after your weight training. You would not want to do weight training after a lactate session or the day after a lactate session because you're going to have some residual fatigue. But otherwise, you can kind of piece things together, right? So we'll talk about one more option here, but we kind of already covered this. That would be a lactate, a lactic session, sorry. But this just means that you're not getting to that 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 threshold or that that burning fatigue sensation. So this would be something like the 50 to 100 meter sprints I mentioned earlier. So you could check this box off with certain hit sessions, right? This would be that high intense effort, something like a sprint and then adequate rest and repeat. So for this one, you do not want to accumulate that acidic feeling in your muscles. So you want to actually avoid that. As you can see, guys, this is variety and it seems variety is actually the best for fat loss. So in closing, we can kind of just, again, look at this from a little bit of a practical standpoint. What does exercise cause the body to do? It causes it to adapt, right? If you're lifting weights, you adapt by becoming stronger, building more muscle. If you do a lot of explosive, powerful movements, weightlifting, whatever, you're going to adapt by building those, those neurological connections between brain and muscle, which actually is, is really what's at the foundation of you becoming more powerful and more explosive. So you have that release of acetylcholine, the, the neurotransmitter at that neuromuscular junction, which is where your your nerves join your muscle to produce an explosive movement. So there's adaptations there. If you're improving your endurance or cardiovascular performance, you're going to be actually building and developing um, new, new um, uh, blood vessels, sorry. So you're actually going to be optimizing your body's ability to carry blood throughout your body. Your heart's going to adapt. We have adaptations to how we burn different fuel sources. So you can become more quote unquote fat adapted say. So this is where people who are able to 
burn fat for energy at higher intensities. This is incredibly advantageous. If you look at some of the top endurance athletes in the world, one of the things that makes them so incredible is that at these high intensities, they're able to burn a lot of fat for energy. This means they don't have to rely as much on glucose because our ability to store glucose very, very limited, right? That's why you see some people just hammering these gels during endurance events. Well, if you can encourage your body to rely on fat, that's going to be advantageous because our fuel tank of fat is enormous. And you have all these other adaptations, guys. The point here is that adaptations, so your body coping with all of this, coping with this stress, because that's what it is. Well, that takes energy too, right? Making all of these adaptations, forming new systems throughout the body, optimizing them, whatever, that takes fuel and resources and energy, and that is going to contribute to your metabolic rate as well. This is really interesting, something that probably doesn't really get talked about much because it's basically impossible to quantify this, right? You, you can't really quantify how much energy all of these adaptations are going to use up. So this is just something that has been discovered through practice, basically. Just case study after case study after case study. These people who are using variety, wow, they're super lean. Why is that? Well, this is probably part of the reason. So that's it for today, guys. Part one of a part two or three series. Next time we'll focus on blood sugar, insulin sensitivity, leptin, some of this other quote unquote more fancy stuff. But I hope this give you, gives you guys an excellent appreciation for the basics. If you weren't already familiar with them, I think we probably went a little bit on some of the basics at the end, but uh, you know, I couldn't resist. Wouldn't be much of a, a show or a podcast, I don't think, if I just stepped, kept to the same old redundant poop. Good time for me to close this, looks like. Um, thanks so much, guys, for all your feedback thus far, comments, reviews, those who submit questions. This is always super helpful because ultimately it's what you want to hear is what I want to put out there. So that's it. Thanks, guys. Hope you have a healthy week. Try and stay active despite all of these shutdowns going on right now. I know it sucks, but stay active. Get outdoors when you can. Have a good week.